Brian Barnett is just a regular guy. He's not a doctor. He has no legal license in any field of mental or emotional health. Brian Barnett merely shares the insights he's gained from his personal experiences for anybody who may choose to use such information as he or she personally chooses, while accepting full responsibility for his or her own individual thoughts, feelings, behaviors, and actions. Brian Barnett assumes no responsibility whatsoever for anybody's individual choice to expose himself or herself to any information that Brian Barnett shares, and by listening to this program, you're acknowledging that you, and only you, are responsible for your own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Well, hello there. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome back to the last symptom podcast. I'm Brian Barnett, the creator and host of the show. This week, during a a live chat on the last symptom community on locals, I asked the folks who were participating with me on that live chat what topics they would like me to discuss in this week's show. And here are the topics that those folks come up with. Number one, how do we educate ourselves to watch out for red flags when we come across emotionally unhealthy people so we can make better choices regarding boundaries and whether to keep contact or walk away. Somebody else seconded seconded that suggestion. Yeah, talk about red flags and when to walk away from toxicity in your life. I'm having trouble talking tonight. Well, I prepared a little response to that question. Here's the thing. I don't think I really tackled the question in the way that the original person asking the question hoped. So I'll have to do another episode where I dedicate the the whole episode to how to recognize red flags. How's how's that sound? But today I did prepare a thing about red flags and um, dealing with emotionally unhealthy people or just dealing with anybody, really and how to handle that so hopefully you'll find that uh, practically useful number two could you talk about how to deal with the emptiness we experience after working through all the causes of our behaviors thoughts and perceptions sometimes it's really hard for me to deal with or you can talk about how to deal with office politics while also having BPD so there's two more topics there emptiness and dealing with work politics number three somebody else asked this Brian do you think you might ever address the topic of dual diagnosis diagnoses borderline personality disorder combined with an actual mental illness by the way I know it's diagnoses but I ain't saying that because it it's a silly word so dual diagnoses that's the way I'm going to choose to say it So, could I talk about that, or is that outside your wheelhouse? Well, uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. In today's show, I'm going to try to honor all these requests to one degree or another, so stick around. I could probably create an entire show around each one of these topics individually, and I might still do that, Uh, but we only have about an hour here today, 
So we will address each thing and mention a few things that you might find helpful related to these topics. In the future, we can and will give each of these things greater attention and palaver on them in greater detail. To round out today's show, I will have a campfire story for you at the end about my good old childhood dog, Bink. I'll tell you all about this exceptional furry friend of mine and some shocking but true things that she experienced in her lifetime, such as the time when she got her guts ripped out by a pack of coyotes, but survived. So, I hope you will uh, enjoy today's show. Before we get into all these conversations, though, I have to make mention of the things that bring in the financial support for me to be able to do this work at all and, you know, supply this uh, really top-rate show, I think, uh, especially this fourth season. I'm, I'm very proud of it. For one, the last symptom locals community. Do you remember I mentioned that earlier? That was where we held this live chat earlier this week. Uh, the last symptom locals community has become a steady and important source of financial support for this stuff that I do. You can join our community there at absolutely no cost and even enjoy access to the vast majority of content that we share there. So please join us. Easiest way to do it is to simply visit thelastsymptom.locals.com in the web browser of your phone or any other device. If at a later time you feel like being a full supporter there at a very modest cost, it's the easiest thing in the world to do, and it brings with it some extra perks and benefits while helping support my overall body of work at the same time. My primary website is thelastsymptom.com. There are lots of free resources there. In fact, the links to everything else are right there at thelastsymptom.com. And uh, I'd love for you to take advantage of the free resources I make available there. And in addition to those free resources, you can schedule paid one-on-one -on -one phone and Zoom conversations with me there at thelastsymptom.com. Also, probably most importantly, you can enroll in the two-week pre-recorded intensive program I've developed for those who are interested in authentically recovering from emotional disorders or in entirely understanding those who have emotional disorders. It's called the Last Symptom Fundamentals Course, and if you're wondering what it's like, it's no different than taking some pre-recorded video online college course. Same type of format. Again, that's all over at thelastsymptom.com. Okay, enough of all that. I can't go on with the show without first mentioning the Red Sox and Yankees game that happened on Tuesday, just a couple of days ago. Some of you will remember that I put out a brief supplemental episode of this show on this just this past Sunday, inviting as many of you as possible to join me in watching that game and cheering for the Red Sox. Well, I have no way of knowing how many of you watched the game with me, but it must have been enough because the Red Sox won final score 6-1, to one, thus ending the Yankees 2021 baseball season for good. My friends, you out there in the Bronx and you Yankees fans living in other parts of the world, 
I know that was a bitter way to end the year, so it ain't my intention to rub salt in your wounds here. But to all who watched the game with me, thank you for that. The Red Sox now go on to face the Florida-Tampa Bay Rays on Thursday night, which means the day most of you will be here in this show. Let me tell you, if I needed Alka-Seltzer, Pepto-Bismol, and a bottle of Excedrin for Tuesday night, I'm definitely going to need it on Thursday night. That is about the time you are listening to this right now. On to today's main topics. Number one, how do we educate ourselves to watch out for red flags when we come across emotionally unhealthy people so we can make better choices regarding boundaries and whether to keep contact or walk away? And uh, again, somebody else seconded seconded that suggestion yes talk about red flags and when to walk away from toxicity in your life first of all we have to recognize that every single situation has to be handled on its own individual merits what's a red flag in one situation would probably not be a red flag in another situation there are a lot of different factors in play and Really, it probably all comes down to what role exactly do you see for that particular individual in your life? So do you understand that if you're looking for a boyfriend, what constitutes a red flag and how you then handle that situation is going to be completely different than if you're just looking for a landscaper. So do you understand that if you were looking for a boyfriend, what constitutes a red flag and how you then handle that situation is going to be completely different than if you were just looking for a landscaper to mow your grass every week. What might be a definite red flag for one may not even matter at all for the other. But fundamentally, the sort of thing it all comes down to is this what role do you imagine the person playing in your life or what role are they already playing in your life there is a concrete formula you can apply to all situations healthfully and reliably and it's something I've mentioned more than once in the past the formula is this anything Anything you allow to be a part of your life should more greatly contribute harmoniously to your emotional health rather than work against it. That is, rather than contributing to emotional unhealth. Let me repeat that. The formula is this. Anything you allow to be a part of your life and notice this wording, should more greatly contribute harmoniously to your emotional health rather than to emotional unhealth. The reason that wording is important is because I did not say that it can only contribute harmoniously to your emotional health because reasonably, if we're reasonable people, we would be forced to recognize that not even we could live up to those requirements, could we? 
so we wouldn't even with a clean conscience be able to uh, allow ourselves in any, anybody else's lives either that's why I say anything has to contribute more greatly or, uh, to your emotional health rather than to emotional unhealth and in the past I've talked about this as being like a teeter-totter or a seesaw you know the 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 teeter-totter only has to be tilted more in favor of emotional health that's it so do you see how this general rule of thumb can apply just as much to the potential boyfriend as it does to the landscaper who's just going to mow your grass every weekend within the context of the roles you see for each of these individuals in your life if the landscaper isn't a very good worker he consistently fails to mow everything he's supposed to mow he consistently mows over things he shouldn't mow over like your flowers or your mint garden <laughs> you wouldn't have to evaluate that situation very long or hard to recognize that this landscaper that you've made a part of your life is actually contributing more greatly to frustration disorder and a lack of serenity more than he's contributing to harmony emotional health and serenity right when you hire a landscaper the idea is that he does the job right and makes your life easier right contributes more greatly to your sense of peace and serenity but if this guy he's running over your flowers and knocking over your uh, frog statues out in the garden and stuff like that chipping off uh, you know, part of the <laughs> the frog statue then uh, this isn't a contribution this isn't more greatly contributing to your peace and serenity it's more greatly contributing to disorder a disordered life a frustrated uh, life where you're actually now you've got more worries to contend with than fewer worries at the same time it would not be reasonable to fire the landscaper because he's doing his you know he's he's cutting your grass and manicuring your lawn perfectly but he doesn't spend enough time sitting around listening to you express your most intimate thoughts and feelings right that don't make sense that's not the role that you have for him in your life you know that fault might be a serious red flag for a potential boyfriend or husband but it's not a fault at all for your landscaper for the record stress frustration uh, consistently recurring periods of anger these are not features of emotional health the features of emotional health are calmness serenity contentment and so forth the reason people often aren't willing to honestly identify who in their lives are interfering and obstructing emotional health and then remove these influences it's because they make decisions based on their feelings first and foremost that's something healthy people don't do healthy people don't make decisions based on their feelings first and foremost 
healthy people are healthy in part because no matter how they feel about things they're able to look at situations realistically and make decisions based on the reality of the situation so as far as red flags go that's the biggest and most important thing anybody who contributes more greatly to emotional unhealth has to go and no I don't care if it will hurt their feelings and I don't care if you're going to feel bad about it for a little while the objective is to enjoy contentment and harmony and health and life and there's only one way you get to do that and no it does not include allowing things or people to be in your life that actively contribute to disharmony and unhealth and work against everything you'd like to be enjoying. Let me tell you about a, a neighbor of mine. He's a really nice guy and you know he's always inviting me over to drink a beer with him in his man cave. As far as his social life goes, he's probably the most social person in the neighborhood by far. People are all always over there in his man cave laughing and having a good time. I go over from time to time and sometimes I stay longer than others. As far as just being a guy that I hang out with from time to time in limited amounts, and maintain a friendly casual relationship with it's perfect you see in that situation there are no red flags there at all let me repeat that as far as just being a casual friend that I hang out with from time to time to drink a beer with or spend some time playing music with on the old guitar Juanita there are no red flags for the role he plays in my life to that extent everything is just fine are there things about him that uh, I don't personally want to be involved with yeah for example there have been things consumed <laughs> I don't want to give too many details there but there have been things consumed there uh, and that I have been offered from time to time that aren't for me things that I just don't really want to include in my life so if I had a different role in my life in mind for him for example what if I was looking for a best friend you know somebody to spend all my free time with and be out doing things with all the time and and somebody to share my deepest thoughts and emotions with well then these sorts of things would be red flags for me you see the difference in the role I have in mind for him changes whether or not there are any red flags or not suddenly when I imagine a more important role for him in my life other things that were not a concern like what I just mentioned or made you know alluded to these things start becoming a concern can we go any deeper with this example yes we can one night I was over there me him and another neighbor we all had our guitars out playing some music together the two of them were pretty high uh, I was drinking some Kentucky bourbon 
This is when the neighbors started asking me about why I never let my little girl play over there. Well, first of all, he had never specifically asked if she could play over there. Specifically, he had made reference to it before, but it wasn't like, can she come over now? She, he would just make reference like, ah, oh, yeah, these, these kids could play together someday. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe. Now he's asking, you know, he's high, the other guy's high. And I'm just playing the, the old guitar. And, and he says, uh, how come you won't let your little girl play over here? Well, that was a, a red flag because I never said that she couldn't. He had never specifically asked me if she could, and I had never specifically said she couldn't. I had just never sent her over there to do it before. But now, him bringing my daughter into the, the equation, now there are some red flags where there weren't red flags before in the previous you know arrangement and understanding that we had together. Now some red flags start to come up. As somebody that uh, I personally just go over to say hello to from time to time and spend an hour or two with, no red flags at all. But as somebody who I would allow to look over the most precious person in my life, who I am primarily responsible for at all times, and remember, by the way, my responsibility for my daughter's safety and the sorts of things she's exposed to don't just go away because she's over at somebody else's house. My primary responsibility toward her does not transfer over to the next adult just because she's got somebody, a caretaker or a babysitter. No, even when she's over there out of my sight, it's still my responsibility. Of course, because he's high, he's saying things he probably wouldn't have said otherwise. For example, he asked if I thought he was a bad parent and things like this. And if this was the reason I never had my daughter play at his house. Well, you know, my personal opinion about that, whether or not he's a good parent, is pretty irrelevant, except to the decisions I make for my, myself and my daughter. It's not really something that he has to be too concerned about. If, if he's content with his parenting, well, that's where that should begin and end. You know, what does it matter what I think? But just being honest with you folks, the truth is, I don't think he's the greatest parent that I've ever encountered. I'm, not, I'm certainly not pa passing judgment on him. I don't look out at the world and pass judgment on people. I make observations, and then based on those observations, I make decisions for myself. But I'm not sitting and observing people judgmentally. He has uh, three or four kids, and I'll tell you, I can't watch because the things he allows them to do out around near the street and things of this sort, and uh, sort of the, the lack of attention to what they're up to and the uh, sort of the situations they're getting themselves into, it makes me very, very anxious. I hear those kids screaming and getting hurt all the time, and it's just not the sort of environment that is really harmonious 
with uh, the spirit and energy and sorts of approaches to life that I'd like my daughter to be educated by. I'm not a stick in the mud. I'm not against kids having fun. I'm also not like, uh, you know, my daughter's shadow where i got to be hanging over her shoulder all the time. Clearly there are times when she's not with me and uh, I don't walk away or I don't walk around in a state of constant panic or anything like that. But, you know, I do trust the people that she's with and uh, that I give my blessing for her to be with and uh, and I do go to great lengths to understand exactly what she's going to be doing who she's going to be doing it with and things of that nature so I've told you in the past that you can always express yourself completely openly and honestly as long as you do it calmly and with no intent to offend you remember I told the story about how when it was told to me the person said you can always express yourself as long as you do it calmly and in a non-offensive way and I tell you that that don't work because what is offensive is completely relative you've got no control over whether somebody is going to get offended or not the only thing you do have control over is if your intent is to offend somebody or not so I reworked that and now it's perfect you can always uh, express yourself completely openly and honestly as long as you do it calmly and with no intent to offend so with that in mind should I have answered the guy and just said to him no I don't think you're one of the best parents I've ever met I'd have been calm right my intent wouldn't be to offend well remember that just because I can say something doesn't mean I have to say something I don't have to share every single private thought I have with anybody let alone people that I'm not very close to furthermore being allowed to express myself completely honestly does not also mean that I shouldn't make a cost-benefit analysis of each situation to determine the best way to handle it. Cost-benefit analysis is a subject that I definitely want to dedicate an entire show on and it's been in my plans for forever because it's so important and it, it makes up such a regular aspect of my life nowadays. So we won't talk about it in great detail here today we'll save the majority of that conversation for uh, a much deeper conversation later but you you may have heard the term cost benefit analysis and think that it only applies to business or business acquisitions and that sort of thing but no Doing cost-benefit evaluations in your head for every single situation you'll find yourself in should become second nature to you. And in this situation with the neighbor, when he asked me if I thought he wasn't a very good parent, I quickly, on the spot, spontaneously and in my mind, did a quick cost-benefit evaluation. Remember, I did this even while I was tipsy on Kentucky bourbon. That's how second nature doing these sorts of evaluations have become to me. 
in my head I said to myself you wouldn't be wrong for answering this question honestly Brian you're not offering an opinion that hasn't been asked of you you know it's not an unsolicited opinion he's literally asking for your opinion so you're completely okay to answer the question honestly if you want to and then immediately after thinking this in my head I asked myself this what could be the benefit of answering honestly and what could be the cost do you see why in a split second I come to the conclusion that the wisest thing to do was to not address his question directly but to instead give him an answer that would satisfy him without going into detail about anything in particular because in my cost-benefit analysis I saw quickly and clearly that the cost could potentially be great while the benefits were absolutely none that I could see the cost is that sharing my honest opinion could make things awkward between me and him and we have to continue living next to each other currently we get along great and we're able to do favors for each other and enjoy a light-hearted casual friendship you know we're able to do things like tell each other if anything suspicious is going on in the neighborhood or we're able to tell each other about great deals we've seen on uh, equipment around town we're able to offer knowledge about things and advice for example he uh, was really helpful this summer for me personally when I was looking into buying a battery powered push lawnmower had never owned one before didn't know how reliable they were or anything like that and you know it was, I didn't want to spend money on something that uh, I didn't know about so I went over and talked to him hey what do you know about uh, battery powered lawnmowers oh they've come a long way you know and this is the brands you should be thinking about and stuff like that so the cost of sharing my honest opinion could mean the end to all of these things and the start of friction and awkwardness on the other hand the benefit of sharing my honest opinion which remember I'm not obligated to do was absolutely zilch doing that would absolutely offer no benefit whatsoever so you can see that doing a quick cost benefit evaluation in my head allowed me to then handle this situation I found myself in in the best possible way I told him hey I'm not a judge of anybody I'm too busy trying to make sure I'm doing my own job as a dad the best I can uh, then I said I will tell you that I do take my responsibility to my daughter pretty seriously and at least at this stage in her life when she's in my care I like to be able to supervise whatever she's into and doing that's all and if she were over at your house I'd have no way to do that that's all that's all it is it's got nothing to do with uh, you personally or your family personally so then he relaxed 
he seemed to accept this explanation as fair and reasonable and then we joked around a bit and went back to playing music now here's the irony about this story I told you that there was another neighbor with us there playing music and he had his kids there playing in the backyard with the other guy's kids this was at nighttime, so it was dark except for a few candles or bug lights or whatever. All of a sudden, one of the other neighbor's kids started screaming bloody murder. And that kid come running into where we were, crying and screaming and raising cane. Do you know what had happened? The neighbor who wanted to know why I've never sent my daughter over to play at his house has a great Dane. It's a dog that is as big as a house. And this dog had bitten the other neighbor's son on the butt cheek so hard that it left teeth marks through the jeans. Felt real bad for the kid. He was hurt. And, uh, you know, he's crying and writhing and scared of what's what's going on back there. He, uh, it, was, it wasn't a good situation. And... Uh, in fact, his dad got up and went over there and looked at it, and he was telling him, oh, come on, it's nothing, it's a scratch, just a scratch, you know. And I, Again, it's, uh, it's not an environment I want my daughter around, where the parents are like, oh, come on, what you're feeling is, is doesn't matter, you're not really in pain, come on, it's no big deal. And then uh, the neighbor, uh, the one that I'm, uh, you know, casual friends with, he finally gets up, his wife tells him, you better come look at this he gets up and walks over there and takes a look at it he he's like well it's not good it's not good and then we kind of locked eyes for a second you gotta keep in mind this is just this happened five minutes after this conversation about whether or not he's a good dad and whether my daughter could play over there and we locked eyes for a second and i think he saw that (laughs) whatever arrangement he thought might be arranged that was out the window it was out the window there's just no way that I would ever put my daughter in a situation like that so think about the red flags I was already paying attention to in the context of this neighbor suggesting uh, the possibility of looking over my daughter while she's over at his house what happened to that red flag after this dog bite not even five minutes after we just had this conversation well The red flags grew in number and size, for sure. So, I don't want to dedicate the whole show to this topic of red flags, and clearly there are a lot more situations and details to examine and consider. I'm eager to do that in a future episode, but what I hope is that this at least offers a template for how to deal with red flags, how to think about them. First of all, when it comes to red flags, your feelings shouldn't have much to say in anything. When it comes to red flags, your feelings shouldn't have much to say about anything. The decision-making process should be based on realities, on facts, on reason, on wisdom. I don't say to myself, well, I would hate to hurt my neighbor's feelings, and so because of these feelings, I'm just going to let something be. No, I put my feelings to one side, and I look at the situation impartially. And that's a term um, I should use more frequently. I actually, when I was writing this uh, outline, that word "impartially," man, I was 
had to get up and kind of roam around my room just looking for that perfect word and then it finally come to me impartially and I think in the past I've been looking for that word and it, it hasn't come to me but that's that's something you're going to be hearing me use more frequently I think emotional health involves a lot of pushing your feelings to one side and observing analyzing a situation impartially it means I don't care how I feel about it let's look at this situation let's disconnect from how I feel about it for a second and look look at it on its own merits so number two uh, could you talk about how to deal with the emptiness we experience after working through all the causes of our behaviors, thoughts, and perceptions? Of course. In the past, I've talked with you about what the experience was like for, for me in the depths of my own recovery. And the way I've usually described it is as a period of intense and profound lasting gloom. But I reckon emptiness is another good way to describe how I feel how I felt during that period why did it seem so profoundly gloomy or empty well because everything that I thought I had known about life and even what I thought I was certain about with regards to the various actors in my life was all false and I could see this now for the first time in my life some of the thoughts that I begin to have while going through this tremendous adjustment to my ways of thinking and understanding is that I begin to think of everything as pretty much pointless. Everything I thought that I was certain about was not even real. The people in my life and the roles they filled or represented why they weren't how I had always chosen to see them either so I sort of fell into this mindset of time at times of well what's it all mean what does any of it even matter I thought of all the ways that I had always been so critical and hard on myself even with regards to God and what he you know what I imagined he thought of me and now suddenly, I'm seeing that I was hard and critical of myself completely unnecessarily in most cases, and that even my basic understanding of something like this was completely wrong and had only contributed to me thinking, feeling, and behaving in abusive, unhealthy, destructive ways. So in this period of gloom or emptiness, I'll be honest with you that I did go through a period of living as if nothing really mattered. And because I was living with this kind of, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of surrender, this kind of surrendered attitude that nothing really matters, uh, this allowed me to do certain things with a completely clean conscience that I would not be able to, to, to do today with a clean conscience. Do you understand what I'm saying? If your attitude is that nothing matters, then your approach to living is sort of one where you're not too worried about consequences because if nothing matters, there is no consequence really to your choices. 
Now I have to point out that this sense of emptiness is different from an emptiness being born from an inappropriate and unhealthy view of human worth. That sort of emptiness comes from believing that any type of value you get to enjoy as a person must come from external sources. It has to come from something external. Because it has to come from something external, if you just take yourself on your own, on your own merits, you are nothing. You see that that belief system only gives birth to emptiness because you don't supply any worth at all from that mindset. The worth has to come from other things, from people first admiring you, people granting you value. But if you just take that away and you just weigh yourself on your own merits, there's nothing there. You're just a shell walking around. So that's one type of emptiness. But I believe the emptiness that the person asking the question is referring to is the feeling of emptiness coming from what I've just described happened to me when now I already had readjusted my understanding of human worth. I I understood clearly that it's an inherent part of being a person. It doesn't come from anything external. And yet I'm living in a new world now. Do you see that? Because I, I've had to discard my understanding of everything I thought I knew about life and feelings and self. It's a brand new world I'm in. And it had me disoriented and questioning everything. It really is disorienting. And it's sad when the floor falls out from under your fundamental understanding of the very nature of everything. There's a real period of adjustment that has to happen there. So the answer to this emptiness is patience with yourself and great compassion for yourself. Remember I told you that there were many things that this period of gloom or emptiness allowed me to do that I would not feel very good about doing today. So you might be asking yourself, Do I look back at those things and use them to be critical of myself now and to make myself feel bad now? The answer is no. I forgive myself because I know very well what that guy was going through and that it was a process and a journey. I also recognize that any person dealing with those types of extraordinary challenges and truly emotionally exhausting things would be affected similarly you know in a similar way (laughs) that's the easier way for me to say it it wasn't some unique situation where I'm the only person who's ever lived who would be affected that way and it wasn't an example of me uh, knowing better or having arrived at healthier and more accurate conclusions but just betraying those conclusions and those understandings of life the the reality is I was kind of in the middle fundamentally I understood now the true nature of things but I had not grown to fully appreciate and um, be able to apply that understanding in, in all aspects of life so when I think about myself back then doing things that I go boy I, I couldn't do that today 
I apply context. I look at my life now and now how I've grown much beyond that stage. I'm not still doing those things. So I can look back and recognize that was part of a process I had to go through and I forgive myself for all that stuff. The period of gloom or of emptiness or of deep depression, call it what you like, in this stage of recovery is something that has to be allowed for. Nobody who is on a journey can reasonably be criticized for not stepping out the front door and instantly being at their destination. The journeying process has to be factored in and allowed for. Well, traveling from a lifetime of deep-seated emotional uh, unhealth to a life of health is a great big important journey. Don't disallow the journeying part. Some other things to keep in mind. You have total authority and power over what you continue thinking about and how you choose to think about a thing. So whenever possible, choose to think positively. Do not choose to allow yourself to wallow in negative thoughts or in thoughts that nothing matters or that everything is irrelevant. These sorts of thoughts are extreme and cannot represent the truth. It's the same way that thoughts that everything is perfect and good and wonderful all the time are extreme and can't represent the truth. Remember, the truth is always somewhere balanced in the middle like a teeter-totter. Next, recognize that you are not superhuman. It's not modest to think of yourself as superhuman. Do you remember what modesty is? It's recognizing your true limits and then and then being content to work within those limits. Now, some people say, well, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy, modesty. It's outdated. Well, no, you're wrong. I'm talking about real limits. And just because you don't recognize a limit does not mean it's not there. So real modesty brings uh, contentment. It contributes to contentment and peace and harmony with life. You know, bear in mind that you're not superhuman. It's not reasonable to hold yourself to superhuman standards. So when the gloom or the emptiness is heavy, don't be too proud or too shy to reach out and talk to somebody. Number three, how to deal with office politics while also having BPD. We've already talked about one situation today that can help with office politics. Do you remember what it was? It was the story of me quickly doing a cost-benefit evaluation in my head. How often could this be beneficial in your dealings with the people you work with? How about the part where I had every right to say a thing, but I chose not to say it? Remember, just because I can say a thing, don't mean it would be in my best interest to do so. <laughs> Another thing about office politics or work politics is this. How we feel about them doesn't matter much. In fact, how we feel about office politics doesn't matter one single bit 
in regards to whether office politics or work politics is a real thing or not and whether or not those who do best are those who learn how to maneuver them to maneuver that reality they don't deny the reality they recognize the reality and they learn to maneuver it now maybe everything inside of you is saying no but that ain't right it shouldn't be that way I, I should be weighed on the merits of the quality of my work well what does should have to do with anything should is a non-word in most cases shoulds don't exist in real life in this sort of context whether you or I feel like office politics should or shouldn't be a thing in work life is completely and totally irrelevant to the reality of whether they are a real thing in work life or not listen I often tell people that I absolutely loved my work as an interpreter on medical staff in hospitals what I absolutely loathed on the other hand was the politics within the hospitals doctors can get away with literally murder while others of us can't even park crooked in the, in the parking lot if we were allowed to park in the lot at all you know those sorts of things are ridiculous you know I worked for Temple University in there in uh, Philly um, I can't even tell you the things that um, the, the outrageous things going on in that place because they would sue me in fact uh, they threatened to when uh, after firing me I complained about some really outrageous things um, they they sent me a threat of, of suing me and of course <laughs> what what kind of defense do I have against something like that so politics and uh, business in the business world are real for this conversation what's important is to talk about denial and acceptance if you'll remember, denial is a phenomenon that is happening when a person looks at a thing and because their feelings don't like how it makes them feel, they either can't see that thing at all, I mean they're utterly blind to it, or they will see something that is not there at all. Their emotional self will create a reality that is not there. A couple of examples of this would be, for example, the political figure you hate the most you really despise him or her that political figure does something that is actually good but because you are so repulsed by the idea of this person being credited with anything good you literally are blind you very literally cannot see that this thing he or she has done is actually a good thing this is where cognitive dissonance kicks in where you begin to create explanations that make really no sense they make no rational sense upon analysis upon unbiased analysis uh, but the explanations are meant to explain why this good thing cannot actually be a good thing another example is that um, most of us who lived with an emotional disorder once viewed our parents as being good parents so this was an example of us seeing something that's not there because the reality was too painful to bear so what did we do 
we completely pushed aside the mountains of evidence pointing to the fact that they are in fact selfish, self-centered, negligent, and uninterested in us as individuals. They might be interested in us for other self-serving purposes, but as individuals they're not interested in us. And we instead grabbed a hold of and exaggerated the importance of things like them teaching us to tie our shoes or them taking us fishing from time to time. You see, these small, insignificant, superficial things are not proof of people being good parents. And they certainly are not proof of anything outside of the broader context of these other more important realities that we don't wish to factor into the equation. So in all cases, regardless of any situation, denial is refusing to see a reality for what it truly is and acceptance is the healthy opposite of this acceptance is being able to see the reality of a thing no matter how we feel about it even if it makes us feel terrible and we wish with all our heart it weren't so we're still able to look at it and see the truth of it anyway so office politics can be like that I know it was for me I said to myself this shouldn't be it ain't right and I'm gonna live as if it shouldn't be well what did this denial get me it got me nothing (laughs) it got me stuck in place struggling with management and made my life harder than it needed to be in most cases what would acceptance be acceptance would be no matter if I think it's right or not or if I think it should be this way or not that this is the reality I'm really dealing with if I want to do well in this reality not some imaginary reality but the real reality I have to learn how to work in harmony with it this is only logical Anytime you harmonize your approach with the realities you're dealing with, the results you get back will be better, more effective, easier, require infinitely less frustration and effort, and it'll be more rewarding. A lot of you would categorize this as being brown nosers and manipulators. And there are certainly plenty of those types of people in the workplace, But there is no reason to feel bad about you personally trying to harmonize your approach with the realities of what you're really dealing with. Whether we like the idea of uh, work politics or not, they ain't going away. When you accept a job in an environment like that, healthy acceptance, meaning the opposite of denial, will allow you to embrace the realities that you are going to be dealing with in that environment and learn to maneuver within that environment on those terms. Number four, somebody asked this, Brian, do you think you might ever address the topic of dual diagnosis, diagnoses, borderline personality disorder combined with an actual mental illness, or is that outside your wheelhouse? Well, we talked about it a little bit there on the live chat. And what I said was that I can discuss it. But what's important to 
keep in mind about mental illness is that it's not something a person can just reason themselves out of, you know, because it's a physical problem. You can't reason yourself. I can't just say, well, my leg's broken in three places. I, uh, I'm going to go into denial about that. I'm just going to reason myself out of having a broken leg in three places. No, it's a physical problem. It has to be dealt with on its own terms. Uh, mental illness is like that. Mental illness and mental health, as the uh, professional community as a whole uses it completely um, inaccurately and in a deceptive way to confuse the common person. Uh, when you're talking about a mental illness or mental health, what you're literally referring to is some sort of defect with the brain. A mental illness is when your brain is not functioning in a healthy way. So the very thing that you would use for reason is not functioning the way it's designed to function. Do you see why you can't just reason yourself out of something when the very tool that you use for reason is not operating the way it's meant to operate? That's mental health. That's mental illness. I remember early on a person coming to me, I think on Facebook, talking about hearing voices and seeing things. And that person got very upset when I told them that these things are not attributable to borderline personality disorder. The borderline personality disorder that this person supposedly had, I'm not sold on the fact that they had it. Oh, she got angry at that. Many take comfort in just blaming every single issue they're experiencing on this diagnosis of borderline personality disorder they've got. By the way, just because you've got a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, I don't believe for a second that that's reliable. I don't believe that these people ha are capable of accurately diagnosing people with these sorts of things because it requires a real deep fundamental understanding, you know, a really uh, insightful understanding of what these things are, what causes them in the first place. And the majority of the professional community has not demonstrated any insight whatsoever on the subject. So how can they go? I mean, how reliable are their diagnoses? Not very. Well, this person was clearly dealing with mental illness. And at the same time, living with the belief that she had borderline personality disorder. And so all this mental illness stuff that she's dealing with, she's attributing to her borderline personality disorder. And the people that uh, are working with her are probably not doing anything to help dispel that myth. That totally erroneous notion. So it's understandable why she got so upset at me. I'm trying to tell her borderline personality disorder inherently behaves one way. It inherently gives birth to certain things. And the things you're describing are not one of them. She didn't like that. I'll tell you another thing about mental illness. In my work here with Last Symptom, I don't feel any uncomfortableness around people who are dealing with emotional disorders, like borderline personality disorder. If, if 
the people I, I uh, interact with are only dealing with emotional disorders. They're completely predictable. I trust them most of the time. Um, I feel comfortable with them most of the time. It's the people who are dealing with more than that, such as mental illnesses, who sometimes concern me. You see, folks with borderline personality disorder are completely predictable because they're operating on that that foundation algorithm, right? That is borderline personality disorder. But folks with mental illnesses, they're not predictable at all. Uh, Mental illness trumps everything. This week, we had a, uh, I did an orange slice, which are these condensed video insights. I talked about doing things in the right order. If you're an alcoholic who has borderline personality disorder, there's no sense in working on, you know, curing yourself of borderline personality disorder without first addressing the alcoholism. Because if you're drunk out of your mind all the time, you can't very well do the work required to heal and escape these other emotional issues. So the logical thing to do is to not worry about the borderline personality disorder for a while until you have the alcoholism under control. Well, this is no different. If somebody's diagnosed you with a mental illness and with borderline personality disorder, again, I'm not sold on the fact that that you actually have both things, but the idea is that to do things logically and in order, forget about the borderline personality disorder. It's not your, it's not the most uh, pressing concern. The most pressing concern is the mental illness because if you can't reason, if your faculties for reasoning are not operating correctly, you can't do the work to recover from borderline personality disorder. You can't even trust the work that you do to recover from borderline personality disorder. So. The mental illness has to be addressed first. Mental illness trumps everything. You can't predict something that by its very nature is completely unpredictable. You know, it reminds me of working with a guy in the hospital who had damaged his frontal lobe in a motorcycle accident. He could do something totally uninhibited at any moment and there was simply no way to predict when that might happen or what it might look like. That is mental illness. Emotional disorder is not unpredictable like that. Emotional disorder is entirely predictable. So the takeaway point of that is there's absolutely no point in doing things out of order. So that's today's topic, conversation. Thursday night it's kind of a big night for me. While most of you folks will be listening to this episode of the show, I, of course, have the uh, Red Sox and uh, Tampa Bay Rays game to watch tomorrow night. But that's not the only thing I got. Dear friend of mine, uh, my old high school art teacher is having an art gallery exhibit, his first since he retired from teaching. He's spent so many years dedicating his time to all his students over the years, including me. He and I have become very good friends over the years. And so this will be the first time 
in years where he gets to show off some of his own artwork and so I'm going to go and support him for the opening of his uh, big art show I might even miss part of the the Red Sox game but for a good cause and uh, I think I'll get back to see uh, the majority of it anyway I plan to get all slicked up and <clears throat> dressed up nice in a suit and tie and go present myself appropriately and celebrate the evening with him yeah 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 come on in all right well i had my next door neighbor here <clears throat> stop by and this is not the neighbor who has the dog that bites kids on the ass but um my next door neighbor he's probably in his uh mid 60s he showed up at my door and i said come on in buddy we ended up talking for a while so i think we talked about mental illness as opposed to emotional disorder talked about my old art teacher and his art show that's going to be happening here soon to, uh, so when you're listening to this i'll probably be at that art show and i'll be <laughs> trying to give it all the respect and attention due while at the same try- time trying to race off and see the uh the red sox tampa bay's baseball game campfire stories i promised you a campfire story bink my dog in my last year of high school when i was 17 i was driving home from school one day and i passed a farmhouse that i had passed 900 million times before and i saw some puppies out there and the first day that i passed there i I just went on by. Next day I went to school, went to work. I was in this program where I was doing, um, I would go to school for half a day and then I would work for half a day and I was working for a a monument company and I would do the artwork and I would do the sandblasting on these tombstones. So I'd get home about 4.30 or so, five o'clock. I've told you about uh, Sam the guy who worked in the cemetery he'd come by with his beer drinking glove that's what he called it he carried a glove with him in his pocket (laughs) all all, through all seasons and um, because the beer that he would drink when he would come to the monument company was in a cooler and it was cold it didn't matter if it were summer or if it were winter Uh, he would pull out what he called his beer drinking (laughs) his beer drinking glove and he was about 70 years old at the time (laughs) I don't know why I find this so funny but I just do (laughs) so Sam would pull out his beer drinking glove and (laughs) and then he would walk around holding this beer (laughs) sipping on it in the back you know in the back part where we do all the work while he would tell stories so um, that was the job I had at the time when I was driving home one day um, I would go to school for half a day and then I'd go to work at the monument company with Mouse and Sam uh, Sam with his beer drinking glove and um, one afternoon I was going out home to the country out in the middle of the woods there where I grew up and I saw on this this farm porch uh, 
a bunch of puppies and I, I stopped by there and I said what are you guys asking for these pups and the old farmer said well you just take one I said all right well I'll take one so I, I did and that puppy proved to be the laziest puppy I think I've ever met in my life thing would just lie around wouldn't do anything wasn't playful nothing so a couple days passed and I decided I made a hard decision I mean, it wasn't that I didn't like the pup. It was just that for my lifestyle, I didn't see how the pup was going to contribute very positively to it. So stopped by there a couple days later, and I said, Would you mind if I traded this pup for one of your other pups? And they said, No, no, not at all. Go ahead. That was when I looked around, and I, I picked Bink, who would follow me into young adulthood. Why did I choose the name Bink? Well, it's pretty simple. I was reading a series of novels at the time that I was pretty fond of. They were the Xanth novels by Pierce Anthony. And one of the main characters in that book, in the very first book, actually, that book spawned many, many sequels. But in the original book, the main character was named Bink. Uh, It was a male character. And the interesting thing about this Bink character was that the whole premise of the story was that there was this magical world called Xanth and by the time you become an adult you had to have a magical talent that manifested and when Bink become an adult he had no magical talent that had manifested so he was at um, at risk of being banished from this magical world of Xanth well, spoiler, spoiler alert. So if you don't want to know about this, don't listen any further. At the end of the first novel, you find out that he, he's had a magical talent all along. It's just that the nature of the magical talent made it almost invisible. So his magical talent was that he was immune to anybody else's magical talents. That was his magical talent. Other people had magical talents like starting fires, talking to inanimate objects and stuff like that. So anyway, I was so fond of this character that I named this pup Bink after the main character. Um, By the time I was 19, I moved away. I moved to the city. 19 or 20. I'm not really breaking down the math specifically here, but uh, some years had passed and then I moved on to the city. And what I remember a lot about Bink... Uh, First of all, she was a mutt. She was a big dog. She was probably 75 pounds. She was a brindle collar, so she had this brown brindle collar to her. And I left her there at home when I went off to the city. And the reason why I left her was not because I didn't care for her or anything. It was because a a country dog has a, a life of freedom that no other dogs get to enjoy. They don't live indoors. They're not tied to a, a chain. They have free roaming ability over hundreds of acres, the same as I did as I was a kid. It seemed cruel to me to take her to the city with me out of some kind of selfish need. So I instead chose to leave her home. And whenever I would come back home, she would always cry to see me 
she would whine openly and cry and try to get near me. She was always so pleased to see me. Bink, throughout her lifetime, gave birth to, I think, three lit- litters of pups. So, just kind of one of the aspects of being a country dog is that when you're in heat, <laughs> the male suitors come from miles around. And so she uh, she did end up giving birth to about three litters of her own pups. And we found homes for all of them. Bank was still alive when I moved to Philadelphia and married Diana. And then even years later, as we were still married, we would come back for holidays and that sort of thing. And Bink was always there waiting for me. Her eyes clouded up, cataracts. So she would bark at me when I'd pull into the driveway. She'd hear the car, she'd start barking at me, and I would step out of the car and say, Bink, it's just me. And then her, her barking would turn into crying. She would cry to hear my voice and run up to me. And I told you I'd tell you about the time that she got her guts ripped out by coyotes. Some people call them coyotes. Uh, we don't call them coyotes where I'm from. We call them coyotes. And a lot of people just call them yotes. One time she disappeared for about three weeks while I was still living at home. And then one morning I got up and I went outside and there she was. And I noticed that uh, she was dragging something underneath of her. And it turned out to be her own guts. So what we assumed had happened is that she had been far out in the woods and had encountered a pack of coyotes and had gotten into a fight with them and these coyotes had ripped her open and the soft part of her belly was totally ripped open. We took her to a vet. The doctor, basically what he did was he stuffed her guts back up inside of her, sewed her up, and that was that. She continued living after that experience for another eight years or so. Imagine that come home we don't know how long she traveled to get home with her guts dragging on the ground and the doctor stuffed her guts back up inside of her belly sewed her skin back up and she ended up living another eight years or so after I married Diana and moved to Philadelphia every time I come back home I figured it would be the last time that she and I would see each other. So I always took lots of pictures and paid her lots of attention. When I was still 17 or 18, I got in my head the idea of jogging up the road. Now, we lived on this country road, jogging, (laughs) you know, the idea for me now is just comical that I got the idea to jog because I was so skinny. The last thing I needed to be doing was jogging. Uh, probably needed to be lifting weights and sucking up supplements. But And so I started getting up early in the morning and jogging up our country road. 
and there was a neighbor that lived up the road his name was andy he was a basically a homeless guy but he lived in a little camper trailer and he had a dog a big enormous black violent dog chained outside to a dog house and this dog would always be pulling at the chain ready to kill you every time you you run by or you walked by or you drove by or whatever well this day that i had uh, chosen to take up jogging you if you want a real picture <clears throat> of what i looked like i was wearing like the 80s shorts with the tube shot the tube sh- uh, socks pulled up to about my knees and i was jogging and uh, i had um what they call walkman i had a walkman on my hip and i think i was playing beach boys <laughs> believe it or not and i was just jogging up through there like this is just the most natural thing in the world for a big old redneck like me and i got up to about andy's house where this dog was you know andy's little shack and i saw some movement out of my eye and I turned and looked, and there was this enormous black dog, all teeth and fur, coming right at me. He was right there. I mean, I'm talking inches from my face. And I backed up, backed up, and I hit a barbed wire fence. So across the road from Andy's place was this barbed wire fence and I couldn't go anywhere and the dog was about to tear into me all of this happened in a split millisecond of a second the dog cha 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 snapping at me and I realized by the way in this period of time that he had broken the chain I could even see the chain dangling from his collar well when I got backed up against this fence and I had just accepted my fate all of the sudden my dog Bink came out of nowhere launched into this dog that was about three times bigger than her and she grabbed a hold of his neck and they started fighting and I got out of there I got disconnected from that fence I run down the road back toward my house. Then I come to my senses. I turned around to see if I could grab a stick or anything to help her. And there she was by my side, panting, happy, having fulfilled her responsibility. And the dog, the big dog that was like three times bigger than her, was shrinking off back to its owner she saved my life that day one day uh, I come home by a surprise from the city back home very early in the morning uh, bank at this time was very old and I remember pulling in and she was the only one awake everybody else was asleep and she come running out to see me so excited and I took her out into a field out in front of the house to play with her and she raced around that field in circles circle after circle after circle and the sun was shining 
and it was a beautiful perfect morning and I was so happy that my old dog had found and tapped into this reserve of youthful vigor and energy I remember looking up at the perfectly blue sky and thinking this is going to be one of those moments that I remember for the rest of my life me and Bink here right now just happy and thrilled to be with one another in this moment and do you know what it is a moment that I have remembered for the rest of my life and it will be a moment that I remember for the rest of my life <laughs>